to this Grand Prix. The race of the year and Interlagos did not disappoint at all. George Russell and Mercedes getting the win for Russell. The first career victory in Formula One for Mercedes. It was their first victory of this season. A 1-2 finish for the Silver Arrows with Ferrari's Carlos Sainz finishing third. Actually, the whole weekend was extraordinary. It's the Brazilian Grand Prix Review or the Sao Paulo Grand Prix Review officially because that's what it's known as. But I know a number of you know it as the Brazilian Grand Prix. Whatever you may call it, we're going to go over the entire race weekend, including the sprint on Saturday. Before we do, this is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Please, if you have been listening to this podcast all season long, please consider subscribing. Leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. I really do appreciate it. It helps us grow as we'll head into year number three next season as we're getting ready to continue to wrap up the 2022 season. And boy, was it a good one in Brazil. I've been saying it all year long. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I've been saying it over and over again. Mercedes is going to win at some point this season. Uh, every podcast review, I said it and I was running out of time. All right, And because I didn't bring it up because I thought that there was something magical about what what the car was doing. In fact, I, I, I kind of was at a point where I was disillusioned by the whole idea that they could be competitive with Red Bull. But we started seeing it in Austin when they made some upgrades and you saw the competitiveness of Lewis Hamilton in Austin. And the only one that he couldn't beat was Max Verstappen. And then Mexico City and now Brazil, there was real a buzz about what the Mercedes machine was doing since, again, the upgrades in Texas. But all season long, I felt at some point Mercedes was smart enough to figure out what was going on with the car. Everything from the early part of the season with the porpoising, and it just wasn't as competitive as the Red Bull and Ferrari machines that were dominating so the so much of the season and then Red Bull later just dominating from Austria on in. So Mercedes goes 1-2, Ferrari goes 3-4, but Red Bull still wants to be part of the story, right? And boy, did they ever. We'll get to the Verstappen-Perez spat later on in this broadcast, but let's get this thing rolling with the sprint race because it had Kevin Magnuson of Haas on pole position for Saturday's one-third running to determine the running order for Sunday's Grand Prix. Now, a lot of people were happy with this because it's Haas and Gunther Steiner and Kevin Magnuson and, you know, the American team and whatnot. And, you know, they're a backmarker team, but... In the end, we knew when the sprint race started that Magnuson wasn't going to hold back Verstappen, Ferrari, Russell, Hamilton, Perez. He wasn't going to hold them off, but it was nice to see that he led the first lap of the sprint race. Um, so that was nice. It was a nice feather in his cap. He ended up eighth, and he ended up starting eighth on the grid Sunday. But in the end of the sprint race, it was George Russell who had won. He passed Max Verstappen on softs when Max had started the sprint on mediums. And in the end, Carlos Sainz finished second. Hamilton third with the grid penalty for a new engine for Carlos Sainz. Sainz goes down the starting grid and Hamilton moves up to second. That gives Mercedes a one-two start. Now, I want to continue my thought on the sprint concept here because if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I have I have been really cold on this idea. I haven't really warmed up to it. But Saturday kind of warmed me up to this. I got to admit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not old school. I'm not a traditionalist when it comes to my sports. I can take some new things. I may not like the new things, but I've embraced a lot of new stuff. I'm willing to watch the changes in both motorsports, stick and ball sports, whatever, and be appreciative of it. I like NASCAR's playoff system, for example. Um, I know it was brand new a number of years ago, and they were trying to get out of the point system. They're trying to make a playoff-friendly format 
format and I kind of enjoy it. I like new rules in football. I like new rules in baseball. I don't like all of them, but I like them enough to see a problem within the game and wanting to at least change the game. The new overtime rule in the postseason in the NFL is a perfect example of this. Now, where is it on the level here, right, with the sprint race? Well, first of all, there's no use complaining about it because it ain't going away. Formula One tends to really, really like this. They're going to add more sprint races into the season. Promoters of the tracks like this. They like to add it to their weekend. So it's not going away. Now, I've had a problem with giving away points, world championship points in sprint races, but I understand the concept because you've got to give the drivers a little bit more to fight for than simply grid position. They can sacrifice grid position. They're okay with grid position and not going to take the gamble if it means them starting in the back of the grid because they crashed. But throw in some points and maybe you've got some real overtaking, some real battles on the track. Never leave it up to the driver's instinct to just go racing. I know that's kind of a line, right? You get them in a car, they'll just go racing. That's true, but they're also smart drivers, and they know the big picture is the next day. So why go for a gap, uh, you know, for a seventh place position on Saturday if it could cause you to be out of the out of the sprint race and in the back of the pack? Right? They're smart guys. They know where the gamble needs to be taken and where the gamble isn't need to be taken. Right? And so when you have a sprint race and you just say everybody run for position now. They're, they're going to do that. But if you throw points in there, you might get some actual real action. So the sprint race on Saturday really kind of warmed me up to it because I got a, I really liked it. And if you're going to do it, Interlago seems to be the place to do it, right? I mean, there's a lot of overtaking. And we saw that in the sprint race. A lot of action. A lot of guys going for gaps. A lot of guys going for positioning. Interlagos asks you to do that. And you can respond to that. And the drivers did on Saturday. So... Am I 100% on board this idea? No, but I'm getting closer and closer to that because I'm really starting to like it. The knowledge that it's not going to disappear, the knowledge that the gimmick is going to stick around has me warming up to it a little bit. Nevertheless, we get to the Grand Prix and what we have is a Mercedes lockout in one, two, because again, the, the engine upgrade for Carlos Sainz drops him back on the grid. It moves Lewis Hamilton up. So they're starting in the front row right behind them are the Red Bulls of Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. So it lights out. Russell gets a great start. I mean, a really great start. Hamilton is right behind him, but it didn't take long for the first issue of the day. Daniel Ricciardo tagging Kevin Magnuson. Both drivers were out of the race. Ricciardo trying to make an inside line work, but backs the hits the back end of Magnuson. Magnuson spins out, and while he's spinning out, he hits Ricardo, and both drivers are DNFing in the afternoon at Interlagos. So the safety car gets deployed. We go back to racing on lap seven. Russell gets another great start, but so did the Red Bulls behind him, especially Max Verstappen. Verstappen went right after Lewis Hamilton, who was in P2 at the time. The two made contact into the Senna S's. That caused damage to Verstappen's car. And Hamilton, he had to go off the track onto the grass to get back on as the field was passing him by. But that's not all what happened on lap seven, because, oh, no, Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris tangle up. Those two collide. It sends the Ferrari spinning into the barrier. And I don't know how he did this, but Leclerc was able to get back onto that track. That's pretty amazing. I mean, he must have realized, all right, because I, I thought he went in really hard, uh, but he said he's able to get the car back on the track. That was pretty amazing. All four cars that were involved in that lap seven entanglement, both of them managed to get back onto the racetrack, albeit in different positions. Leclerc and Verstappen were way back of the pack. Both needed new front wings. 
Hamilton kept himself in the top 10. Verstappen was given a five-second penalty for the collision. He argued there was no space. I kind of agreed with Martin Brundle at the time. I think that Verstappen was right a bit. I don't think he had any space. Hamilton did have the lead going into that corner, but... I think Verstappen was correct. There really wasn't any room, and it was sort of, to me, or at least a racing incident. I know that's not going to go over well with a lot of you, but I, I do agree that I thought it was a racing incident. I didn't think a five-second penalty was warranted at that particular spot. So the early battle in the race was between Russell, uh, who, was no who no longer had Hamilton behind him now, and Sergio Perez. So you had Mercedes and Red Bull 1-2 at this point in the early stages of the Grand Prix. Now, at this point, all right. If you took a picture at this point, P2 in the Drivers' Championship is starting to slip away from Leclerc. He's 18th with two drivers out. So he's the last driver on the on the track. Interlagos, though, is great for this kind of thing because overtaking is plentiful. And if you can get back out there and get some pace, you're going to pass some cars. So Hamilton, he's flying through the field, right? He's passing a number of cars to get to the top five. He passes Vettel. He passes Gasly. He soon passes Lando Norris for fourth. I mean, the Mercedes was cooking. I mean, they really had it dialed in. Um, lap 20, though, this is when the window for the soft tire drivers were starting to show up, right? This is about where if you're on softs, you're thinking about pitting. And there were a lot of guys who started this race on softs. So lap 18, the top eight drivers were on softs. Perez comes in on lap 24. He's kind of the first one to come in among the leaders. He gets a set of mediums. Mercedes at this point now is 1-2 because you had Russell up top. Hamilton takes his spot. Perez is trying to do the undercut, but he comes out sixth. He's behind a gaggle of cars, and he wasn't really getting a clean run to do that undercut. Russell comes in a lap later. Perez is battling Valtteri Botas for position. So Russell, when he comes out, he comes out ahead of Sergio Perez. It was really no problem. The undercut doesn't really work. Hamilton comes in and pits on lap 29. He's really getting good life at that first set of soft tires. That leaves Russell the leader of the race. Perez, Carlos signs are right behind him. Hamilton splits those drivers, though, when he comes out. So you've got Perez, Hamilton, and Carlos Sainz when Hamilton comes out of pit lane. Leclerc and Verstappen, and I think this is very important, they're making their way through the field. They're trying to make up some track position. Now, they're benefiting because they're on the soft tires when everybody's starting to come in for that first set of mediums after running on the softs. Max, all season long, has done this, right? He's overcome all sorts of issues, right? But... He manages to win the race. I mean, you go back to his starting position in Spa, his situation in Hungary, his situation in Austin, where he had an 11-second pit stop. Whatever has happened to Max Verstappen this year, he's been able to overcome all of it and win Grand Prix. But he wasn't going to win this one. He just wasn't. He didn't have the pace. And the Mercedes, I, I'm repeating this, they were flying, flying. Uh, so we've seen Max overcome a lot of problems, but he wasn't going to come over this, but he had the car back in the points, which is expected. Once he got that thing really moving, he was going to beat a lot of teams. And Leclerc was able to do the same thing, getting on those softs, getting that car back up. He was able to get some positions back, and he was running in the points as well in the middle stint of the race. So meanwhile, Russell's pulling ahead at the front. Hamilton is making it known behind Perez that he's right there. Those two are going back and forth for second place. This was on a lap 
44. Perez is struggling on the medium tires. Finally, Hamilton was able to get past him. By the way, that DRS in Interlagos is so strong. It goes into that sweeping sort of left-hand long sweep to the front. You know, you go by the box stands, and then you head to the front stretch before you get to the Senna S's. That long stretch, is the, the DRS is so strong there. You just can't hold back the extra power that the car behind you is going to get for that long a period of time. Lap 48, Perez, he comes in, he gets fresh mediums. This will be a key for later. Hamilton comes in, soft tires. Even though Hamilton has no interest spinning here, right? Why, man, why, man, the tires are good, the tires are good. They're like, stop. The soft tires are the best. It's the best option for the stretch run. Get the tires. So he comes in, he gets tires. Russell comes in, he gets new softs as well. About 21 laps to go. All right, lap 52, Lando Norris, who had been battling food poisoning all weekend, he retires on the track. He needed to be removed. The safety car came out. This took a long time. This took much longer than I thought it was going to take. I, I was reminded of Daniel Ricardo at Monza. Remember when he ended up on the track and they couldn't get him off and they couldn't get the car being able to move? It took forever. We ended up with a yellow flagged finish at Monza. I was like, what's going on here? Why can't we get this car off this track and get back to racing? It just felt like it took forever and ever and ever. They were doing lap after lap after lap behind that safety car. Finally, lap 60 with 11 to go, we got things back to racing. Once again, bears repeating. Russell got a good start. He and Hamilton sped away. Sergio Perez on some of those used mediums was just a sitting duck because everybody around him was on softs. So he was getting passed by Carlos Sainz. Charles Leclerc, Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen. I mean, he was he was getting passed by a lot of cars on those used mediums. Alonso passed him on lap 65. By the way, let's touch on Alpine for a second here. Um, so before the restart on the final restart, the team is telling Esteban Ocon not to race Fernando Alonso. Remember the two tangled in the sprint race on Saturday and Fernando was like, I got one more race with these guys and then I'm out. Fernando was on fresher, even though it was his fault, by the way. Fernando was on fresher tires. The team wanted him to pass Ocon to make a move and get as many points positions as he can. They didn't want Ocon to fight him at any point. Go get Sebastian Vettel, but don't, don't fight your teammate behind you. So Russell is not getting a fight from Hamilton at the front, who was about a second or so behind. Red Bull then gives orders to Max Verstappen. Go chase Leclerc. See if you can knock him off a, off a place position in this P2 battle between Leclerc and Sergio Perez in the driver's standings. So they tell Max, go get Charles Leclerc if you can. But if you can't, we're going to swap places with Checo. So we're going to give Checo your position and let him get some points in this battle with Charles Leclerc. Okay, that seems very reasonable. So they tell Verstappen to go get Leclerc to see if he can knock off a position. He can't. So what happens? Well, George Russell passes the finish line. He wins his first F1 race. Hamilton makes it 1-2 for Mercedes. Ferrari finishes 3-4. and four, And Alonso makes it a P5 finish for Alpine. And Verstappen crosses the line in sixth place. Perez finishes seventh, right behind Max Verstappen. After Verstappen was told to give the place up to your teammate. Well, we'll get to that controversy coming up later, but let's focus on the winner of this Grand Prix because he deserves it. George Russell, what a great weekend. Wins the sprint race, wins the Grand Prix, first ever F1 victory. And not to get all sentimental here, but think about the journey of George Russell into Formula One. He's in the Mercedes camp. 
He gets a ride with Williams. Williams is uncompetitive. He doesn't even get any points until the last season that he's with Williams. He's going absolutely nowhere. He's in an uncompetitive car. He's watching his peers win Grand Prix, podium, earn points. He's not getting any points. He's nowhere. And meanwhile, he's kind of patiently waiting for Mercedes to make the move on Valtteri Bottas. And they finally do it. But you got to go back to the secure Grand Prix. Remember when George Russell was given the ride when Lewis Hamilton got COVID and he was leading the race and he was showing everybody that if you put him in a good car, he's going to be a front runner. He's going to be a champion. He's going to be a winner. Then he had some tire issues and that derailed his day, but the eyes were open, right? George Russell in a Mercedes. Oh my God, they'll be unbeatable. Him and Lewis Hamilton. Here we go. And this was the year 2022 that it finally came to fruition. He was in a Mercedes, but he's not in the Mercedes. He's not in the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas dominating the sport. He's in the Mercedes that is not quite up to the level that Red Bull and Ferrari were. So while he was kind of picking off top five finishes all through the front part of the season, and even until Silverstone, where he was out in the first lap, George Russell was on a premier team without the premier car and slowly picking away and making that car better. They finally win a race. This is a very, very patient career. This is not a career that you normally see where somebody has been waiting to get into the car. They get into the car and Oh, by the way, it just so happens that this is the year we're not dominating. Think about it in the NFL, you being a player and you've been wanting to play for the Patriots. You're like, I'm tired of being on the Jacksonville Jaguars or I'm tired of being on some lousy teams like the Cleveland Browns. I want to be on the Patriots. I want to be on the Patriots. And you get your agent to finally get you on the Patriots. And that's the year Tom Brady goes to Tampa, right? All of a sudden now we're not on a terrible team, but we're not on a Super Bowl team. That's where Russell went. He went from wanting to be on the Super Bowl team. He gets there. And oh, by the way, there are two other teams that are better. But this was a slow process to reach this point. Upgrade, upgrade, feeling better, feeling better, getting more out of the car, getting more out of the car. Oh, now we're really starting to look good. Now we're really starting to get competitive to bam, Brazil. And it was a Mercedes weekend a real Mercedes weekend. And now Russell is a formula one champion. I like George Russell a lot. I think he's going to be a world champion at some point in his career. I mean, it's hard to say that because you kind of see, you kind of can vision Max Verstappen winning a bunch of these things. I think George Russell though, is going to be a chief competitor to Verstappen in formula one. I think these two, this is the door that opens for these two to have a real, real, real rivalry. And I don't want to take anything away from Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. They can be in that mix too. But I think George Russell is just a talent box ready to explode. That being said, let's get to team report. Then we'll get to the Red Bull controversy. So let's go through this real quick. Mercedes, what else can we say? It was a one-two finish for the team, just like the good old days, right? Uh, very emotional for George Russell. I remember the when he got his first point and he cried. He cried after this one. He's He deserves it. First career victory. He controlled this race. You heard me say it over and over again. Got those good restarts off the safety car. He never really had a challenge. Hamilton was behind him, yeah, but he, no one else really gave him the kind of push in the battle up front hats off to the team their persistence this season has paid off the upgrades in austin starting to show up they showed up in brazil hamilton got into contact with verstappen that dropped him back he fought his way to a p2 finish great great day too bad total wolf wasn't there to celebrate but nevertheless mercedes deserves all the a pluses that you can give for a wonderful weekend 
As far as Red Bull goes, we're going to get to Verstappen and Perez in just a little bit, like I said, but Max was way back in the field after the contact with Hamilton. He got a five-second penalty. Nevertheless, taking that pit stop for that new front wing super fast. That was a really, really fast change for the wing for the team. Max finished sixth. Perez running second a lot of the day was on those used mediums. A sitting duck, as I mentioned earlier, getting passed by everybody. Didn't get the position from Verstappen. So right now, him and Charles Leclerc tied heading into Abu Dhabi. Last race of the season for P2 in the driver's standings. Again, we'll get to that controversy in just a little bit because, boy, that became a big, big deal. Ferrari, Carlos Sainz earned a podium finish, Leclerc fourth. Really good day for the team, given Leclerc got spun out and was put into the barriers, had to come out last in the field. Signs at a five-place grid penalty for an engine upgrade. He started seventh on the grid. Leclerc, fantastic drive. If it wasn't for Hamilton, he would have gotten driver of the day. Really brilliant drive by Charles Leclerc. Fantastic, especially after spinning out. I actually thought he was done. I did. I thought he was done for the day. Signs, strong weekend. The engine upgrade gave him really good pace. Had to break off, uh, had a brake tear off issue that caused some overheating. That was an issue. He did have to pit a little earlier. Um, Leclerc now goes into Abu Dhabi, as I mentioned before, tied with Sergio Perez for P2 in the drivers. Alpine, a points finish for Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. They had just one more race before they split up and end this partnership. Man, you could feel the tension when those two tangled during the sprint race. However, Alonso finishing P5, Alonso finished 18th. They started back at the grid after that collision during the sprint race. Alonso did was at fault for that, by the way. I know they get at each other, but Alonso did admit that was his, his fault during the contact for the sprint race. But Alonso held off Max Verstappen in the closing laps. He was allowed to pass Ocon on team orders because he was on those fresher tires. An impressive run for both drivers to get Alpine points on that particular race, given where they started after the sprint on Saturday. Alfa Romeo, Valtteri Bottas finished P9, so a points finish for him. Great drive, used a two-stop strategy, was on the soft tires most of the day, went from 14th to a points finish, afterwards said the car was really strong. Zhou Guan Yu finished 14th. He tried an early undercut to get through some of the midfield teams, but the safety car sort of set him back. He had a turbo issue as well, so the team will have to look into that. And then he also said he had a drink straw stuck in his helmet. Uh, so, I mean, when it rains, it pours, I guess, right? Uh, but you know what he said afterwards? He was happy for the team. Aston Martin. Man, I was screaming into my television on Saturday at Lance Stroll. I am so tired of this carelessness. He's getting more and more careless. He did this at Austin with Alonzo down that stretch at Circuit of the Americas. He moves over to the left on Sebastian Vettel, forces his teammate wide. Stroll does end up 10th on Sunday. Vettel, last race in Brazil, finished 11th. He was on an older medium and let Stroll through to battle Botas for ninth, so he did play the good teammate. But they had the car up in the top. 10 from a lot of the day. So I have to give Vettel, he had a pretty good run. Alphatari, neither Pierre Gasly nor Yuki Tsunoda had good days in Brazil. Gasly started 10th on the grid. So I was a little surprised that he didn't finish in the points. Yuki started in the pit lane after he had some park Ferme changes, finished 17th, never a factor in the race. Don't really remember anything he did. Gasly was, it was really disappointing. He had a top 10 car. He was in the points for most of the day, given that he had a P10 start, but pitted under the safety car, couldn't make his way back through the field. That's a disappointing 14th for Gasly. McLaren, ugh, 
Both Lando Norris and Daniel Ricardo did not finish. Norris had been dealing with food poisoning all weekend. He made some contact with Leclerc, spun him out, and gave him a five-second penalty. He then stopped, which brought out the safety car. And man, it was a long one, too, as I mentioned earlier. Ricardo tagged Kevin Magnuson. He was taken out when K-Mag spun back into him. Really bad day for the team. Uh, it was just not their weekend. Just not their weekend. Uh, Williams, neither Alex Albon and Nicholas Latifi were a factor in this race. Both finished back of the pack. Albon 16th, Latifi 15th. Albon started on hard tires, changed that out during the first safety car that came out early. That ruined his strategy. Latifi, well, he didn't crash anyone. What do you want from me on Latifi? We're almost done with Latifi's era in Formula One anyway. Haas. Kevin Magnuson won pole position Friday. Yay, that was awesome. I have to admit, I'm not a Haas fan. I should be. I know I'm American, and I should be rooting for the American team, but I'm a Ferrari guy. I have been forever. But I love K-Mag on the pole. That was great. Uh, but, you know, in the sprint race, you kind of knew it. Like, it wasn't going to win the thing, right? Like, like it wasn't going to hold off for Stappen and Leclerc and Russell. and He wasn't going to hold anybody back. But, you know what? He, made, he had an eighth-place finish. That was pretty good. That was a good start for him, P8. Uh, but the lap one contact with Ricardo ended his race. That's really disappointing given they were really on cloud nine with what happened Friday and, and even the finish on Saturday, given where they are compared to everybody else. Mick Schumacher finished 13th. He struggled on the medium tires. Looks like he will be replaced by uh, Nico Hulkenberg into next season. So uh, that's kind of too bad for Mick Schumacher. Nevertheless, we'll see where he ends up later down the road in Formula One. All right, so let's get to the Red Bull controversy that happened at the end of that race. So, Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc are battling for P2. Red Bull would love their two drivers to go 1-2 in the driver's standings. Ferrari, that's had a very disappointing season given the way they started the season, would certainly like Charles Leclerc to finish second in the world driver's standings and make a good mark on 2022. So, both drivers are battling it out for that position. Now, Ferrari is not immune to this a little bit either, right? I mean, Charles Leclerc did ask the team if Carlos Sainz wouldn't mind swapping places with him. And remember, Sainz was heading to a podium finish, but Leclerc still asked if he wouldn't mind swapping with Carlos Sainz so he could get the points in this battle with Sergio Perez. Okay. So they do that with Red Bull. They asked Max Verstappen to give up his place when he wasn't in the final few laps, going to be able to catch um, Alonzo and Leclerc pass both of them to knock them down the order. They realized that that wasn't going to happen, so they asked him to swap. They get nothing back on the radio, and then they finally, when they crosses the lane, what happened? And Verstappen replies on the radio, quote, I told you already last time, don't ask that again to me. Are we clear about it? I gave my reasons and I stand by it. Perez says, thanks. Horner gets on the radio, says, I'm sorry about that check. And then there's kind of a pause. Perez, knowing that this is going to be news, says it shows who he really is. So now there's immediate speculation as to what's going on between these two drivers. And it's going to go back to May. Now, back in May at Barcelona, Perez on a two-stop strategy with about 17 laps to go was told to move over so that Max Verstappen could take the lead of the race. Now Verstappen won that Grand Prix. And remember, he's in this battle with Charles Leclerc, but it's early in the season. And Perez feels like I could have won this race, but I was a good soldier. I did my job. I moved over, even though I can really defend, especially on these tires. I know I can defend and now I'm giving up a chance for me to win this race. We're not racing. They told me to move. I moved. 
So Verstappen goes on to win at Barcelona. A week later, they're in Monaco. Now, Monaco, as you know, you better do well in qualifying because you're not going to be overtaking very much on that street circuit. It just that's it just doesn't lend itself to that. So in the Q3, you had the two Ferraris and then you had Sergio Perez. They're going around for their last lap. At Portier, Sergio Perez spins and goes into the wall. That puts a red flag on qualifying, and that's it. Now, Verstappen didn't get a chance to have his lap, final lap count. And so there, and he was on a cracking lap, by the way. So, nevertheless, he doesn't count, and he doesn't have a chance to move up the grid already and possibly start the race in pole position. So, Sergio Perez, by crashing into Portier and qualifying, puts Verstappen fourth. Now, go through the weekend. Sergio Perez wins at Monaco thanks to some screw-ups by Ferrari and Verstappen is fourth because he's fighting the cars all day on a track, again, that's not good for overtaking. So, what was the beef, right? Well, there's a belief that Sergio Perez did it on purpose. Now, a number of outlets reported that he admitted to Hermann Marco and Christian Horner that he did do it on purpose, but nobody can really verify that. So while it's not official, it might be one of those things we believe without any real confirmation. Now, some was some people were reporting that, and other news outlets, including ESPN, tried to verify that and could not get a verification if that was true. So the confession part that is being reported by a lot of outlets doesn't seem to be verified by a few news medias that tried to find out if there was verification that there was an admission by Perez that he absolutely did it on purpose to secure his spot on the grid for the Grand Prix on Sunday at Monaco. Nevertheless, all of a sudden Verstappen's camp starts feeling like this was something that was done on purpose and it ruined his chance at winning at Monaco at a period of time where again, Remember the mindset we were having at that particular point of the season. We were only a couple of Grand Prix in. Ferrari was dominating the early part of the season. Remember Red Bull, Max Verstappen had two DNFs in the first three races of the season. But then the wins started coming. They won at Imola. They won at Miami. All right, so the wins are starting to come. But the championship chase is not decided. It's not like now where we look back and go, wow, what a dominating season. Why would you be bitter? At the time, it was probably really, if he believed that Perez did that on purpose, it probably really got under his skin, really got under his skin. There's a couple of telling things about this, though. If indeed this is it. Now, how do we know that this revolves around the Monaco situation? Well, there were some, there's some breadcrumbs here, right? There, first of all, people, that was a rumor that was going around for a while. Okay, that Perez did it on purpose and Verstappen was pretty angry about it. So, in fact, David Croft even brought it up as soon as they knew that there was a beef between the two drivers on the track. He brought it up. So the rumor that had been percolating all season was starting to come out. that This, this was happening. This was, this was something that bothered Verstappen a lot. The other thing was when he was asked about it, he said he talked about it. He made his point very clear to the team. They were, he asked, was asked directly if it had something to do with Monaco. He sort of smiled and said, that's for you to figure out. Well, been around athletes a lot. Usually that's with the telltale sign that you're on to something, but I ain't going to admit it on camera. So bye. But it gives you an idea that maybe that is it. That's where everybody's going with this. So, but there was, it was really telling to me because there's a couple of things about this. One, 
Verstappen is a world champion now. Now, he's a two-time world champion now. And maybe he doesn't care about his image at all. Some athletes don't care about their image. They care about winning, and they don't care what the public thinks of them. They've got money. They've got what they want. They're, got, they're surrounded by the people that care about them, and they don't need every, anybody. They don't care about marketing deals. They don't care about global image. They're not here to change the world. They're not here to meet princes and kings and have discussions at the UN. They just want to race. They want to be champion. They want to be by themselves. And they don't care for the global response to anything that they do or say. Verstappen is making a calculated move here. He knows the radio broadcasts are going to be around the world, that everyone's going to talk about it. So he knows when he said what he said, he was directing it to the team, but he was also saying that to everybody else that was wondering why he didn't do it. He didn't give an admission of why he did it, but he was saying to everybody, I have my reasons, people. He was also directing a, a point to the team. I'm the boss. I'm the boss of this thing. I'm not moving over. Much like earlier, Esteban Ocon saying when they asked him, he said, I'll race. Let me race. Drivers have a tendency on that radio to own the moment. And Verstappen was owning the moment. In the end, what were you going to do? The only thing you can do is come back to me, make it right with me in a conversation with me. You're not going to discipline me. You're not going to yell at me. You're not going to find me. I'm your two-time world champion. And Verstappen knows that. He's got a good group of people that support him. And they have told him some things about circumstances within that team. And whether he believes it or has evidence or whatnot, Verstappen is going to do what he wants to do with that. That being said, what a jerkish thing to do to a teammate that has been so good to you in your pursuit of the two championships. Now, Sergio Perez said he has two championships that, you know, if it wasn't for me, well, this year, different. Last year, yeah. Abu Dhabi, the way Lewis Hamilton was trying to get past Sergio Perez and just couldn't do it. There's this huge gap between Hamilton and Verstappen. And Verstappen is able to make it all up because Sergio Perez is fighting like a lion against Lewis Hamilton. That allows the pit window that Hamilton was going to need for a safety car pit stop to be non-existent. So at the end of that controversial Grand Prix, Hamilton couldn't make a pit stop when he could have had did Sergio just moved on by. So that being said, Verstappen owes a lot to Sergio Perez. And Perez, this is important. This is why you join Red Bull. This is why you're part of that team. Red Bull can win you championships, but not with Vax or Stappen on it, but it can get you P2 in the world championship. And that's probably the best thing you're going to fight for. And Max Verstappen has to play a little office politics here. He has to make it known who he is within the stratus status of the team. He's putting Sergio Perez in his place for something that happened at Monaco five months ago. Very bizarre. Really, really bizarre. Sergio Perez may have said it best. It may be this who he, this is who he is. 
but I've seen this before. I've seen this in the NFL. I've seen this in the NBA, especially. There is something about that higher level athlete that says, we're not doing it any other way, but the way I'm doing it. Tiger Woods was like this. Tiger Woods was a, was brutal out there. But this was a really bad look because Sergio Perez is really popular. People really like Sergio Perez. They like the idea that he got this chance at Red Bull and that he was able to elevate his position in Formula One with this. He's getting wins now. He's competing for a great solid position in the Drivers' Championship. It's a bad look for Verstappen, a really, really bad look. Now, he may not care. It doesn't matter if he cares. It's still a bad look. A bad look is a bad look whether you care about it or not. It may not impact you. It may not impact your bottom line. It may, you, may not, you may not even lose sleep over it, but it's still a bad look. And now Christian Horner who wants to pretend like, no, 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 they shook hands. Everything's good. No, I don't, I don't know. Verstappen said afterwards, if Checo needs help, I'll make sure he has help. Well, you could have helped him here. Was your issue in Monaco such a big deal? Now there's a flip side to that. And I want to get to the flip side real quick. If Sergio Perez actually did purposely crash in Q3 at Monaco to make sure he was ahead of Max Verstappen, it's pretty gutsy. Pretty gutsy. And I think if I was Verstappen, I'd be pretty upset too. We want to race. We want to, we want to race clean. We want to do all the things we're supposed to do out there. You give your best. I'll give my best. And wherever it falls is wherever it falls. It is not. You give your best. I give my best. And if your best is good, you kind of crash. So it's over. So if Max is right about this, he really is hundred percent right about this. And maybe Perez did admit to helmet Marco that he did crash on purpose. It's a legitimate beef, but it's a beef that should have been solved months ago. They should have cleared the air months ago because Perez signed a contract that weekend in Monaco for a two-year deal. So I hope they kiss and make up because I will tell you, one of the more heartwarming things I heard on the radio was that day at Abu Dhabi last year when Verstappen was coming around that corner and he could see Lewis Hamilton and he knew what was going on. And he just said on the radio, oh, Checo's a legend because we all know Checo's a legend just to hear it. Like that it was pretty heartwarming. All right, that's our Brazilian Grand Prix review. That's our Sao Paulo Grand Prix review, whatever you'd like to call this. I will have an Abu Dhabi preview coming up later this week. Again, a reminder, please leave us a five-star review. If you like the podcast, we really want to grow into year number three. We really need your help. Share the podcast if you can. Well, I need to see, I want to see a lot of growth with this. I'm really passionate about it. I'm glad you're part of the journey here at the Overtake F1 podcast. Just an American broadcaster bringing Formula One to as many people as I can. I know there's a lot of good podcasts are out there covering Formula One, and I'm glad you chose this one. All right, I'll have a preview of Abu Dhabi coming on later this week. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for listening. This is the Overtake F1 podcast.